I'm Andrew Chappelle, and this is a controversial podcast, one that's recorded on the lands of the oldest continuing cultures on Earth. SBS acknowledge the traditional custodians of country and their connections and continuous care for the skies, lands, and waterways throughout Australia. Everyone knew I was gay. I met my partner there in the newsroom of Al Jazeera, and we moved to Australia together. And you know what? Qatar made that happen. In this episode, we'll talk about whether gay fans should feel safe going to Qatar for the World Cup in a country where sex between men or between women is a criminal offense. There's a lot more to this topic than you've probably heard before. And I want to make sure, like the other episodes, that we hear from Qataris and others with lived experience, rather than people from outside who've never been there claiming, in good faith, to speak for them. So I lived in Qatar for the decade leading up to the World Cup, and this issue is a bit complicated for me. To be honest with you, I loved my time there. Everyone knew I was gay. I met my partner there in the newsroom of Al Jazeera and we moved to Australia together. We had a great social life and I was able to report on LGBT issues around the world. The criticisms I heard time and time again just didn't square with my reality. So we took a decision uh, as a group to boycott it, to be honest. Um, and I don't know of any fan groups for any country in Europe really that are planning on going or who haven't boycotted it. Not just for the personal safety aspect of it. I think that was probably lesser in my mind. It was more, when you think about it, there's a community in Qatar who spend every day sort of uh, fearing for their lives, really, in a country that's as repressive as that. Wherever we hold um, global sporting events in the world, we should be ensuring the safety of all stakeholders at those events and also being mindful of the local situation of LGBTIQ plus people in those countries, because it's not OK either just to create a bubble for a sports event whilst um, we know that local people are suffering um, from, uh, from laws on the ground. But the bubble preceded the sporting event. Officials from Qatar 2022 and FIFA issued assurances to many other fans who would be going for the tournament. This is FIFA President Gianni Infantino. Everyone will be welcomed to the tournament, regardless of their origin, background, religion, gender, sexual orientation or nationality. Well, I can tell you I'm not welcome in Qatar, so that statement is false. Nasser Mohammed made headlines by publicly talking about what it's like being a gay Qatari man. He left for my country the same year that I moved to his. Nas spoke to my colleague Cameron Watts and explained more about the bubble. Who's in it and who's not. People that are visiting Qatar are not as severely persecuted as the ones that, um, that live there. The community in Qatar is the most uh, persecuted. A lot of the foreigners, if they cross a line, uh, if you wish, just get to be deported. They may go to jail for a couple of days, for hours but then they would immediately be removed uh, from the country. The degree of persecution a person will go through depends on where they fall on the privilege spectrum, frankly. So uh, whether they're local or an expat, just like how you see it with foreign workers, right? Like certain ex foreign workers are treated significantly different than others, right? Like if you're coming from the United States or the UK, which is most of the workforce there is from, uh, are from these two countries, I want to say, and these people tend to be engineers or teachers or lawyers or whatnot, versus people that are brought in from Eastern Asia and Nepal, Philippines and, um, and India. Those are treated completely differently. The working conditions are completely different. 
their level of freedoms within the country are different. So when you when, when an LGBT person is persecuted, the first question is going to be like, who are you, right? Like, where do you come from? What are your resources? What are the political connections we have to your country? And all of these things um, really affect how severely persecuted you're going to be. And then for the Qataris, it is impacted by which tribe you come from, how affluent your family is, and what are their political connections. And then also for the LGBT community, they also look at the like feminine to masculine spectrum in a way. And I'm going to say people that are generally more feminine are persecuted more severely um, in, in, in many aspects. So there is like this, these like, and unusual, I think, like ways that they persecute uh, the LGBT community. But yeah, like all of these things are factors. Qatar doesn't have the resources, frankly, right now to hunt LGBT people during the World Cup. They're kind of like stretched thin with staffing. But also that means they don't have resources to protect the fans. And I worry more about them being, being basically gay bashed by um a group of people that were trained to gay bash LGBT people and are just have no concept of of what being an LGBT person is. Like they just don't really understand that. Um, So people that don't, if you wish, pass um, would need to be really careful and maybe like consider not going because if your gender expression really shows that you're an LGBT person or signals that, to the locals, they could take it as an intentional assault on them, which is a very bizarre concept, but that's the local narrative. Now, if you're going there as a fan and you want to support or show that you care about the cause, I don't think public display of rainbow flags or causing rallies or anything like that would be productive. They would be taken as provocative and you're just going and poking a bear. And I don't know that is going to be productive. In October, Australian-born activist Peter Tatchell held a one-man protest outside Qatar's National Museum that was problematic to many within the gay community. My name is Maria McPaul. With the World Cup, there's just so much white saviorism regarding especially LGBT rights going on. I'm just really frustrated, honestly. I think that people don't really realize the cultural nuances first off of the region and also just the impact that inflammatory protesting has on queer people living in the region because as an outsider you the, there's a lot of appeal in the idea of just like flying in and doing your brave little protest and leaving but nobody thinks about what mess do you leave behind like who, who does the government take that out on because it's not you as a westerner you have the privilege to just fly back out but Do queer people living in that country have that same privilege? And another question is, have you consulted with the people of that region that you claim to care about? Have you asked if this is what they want you to do? So those are just the main two questions I want to ask journalists and activists who think that their saving is needed. That's the main thing. I think that you need to listen to queer people from that country before you make any impulsive decisions. My name is Resha Yunus. I'm Human Rights Watch's LGBT researcher covering the Middle East and North Africa region. Police questioned and stopped this activist, but he had the luxury of leaving to the airport and leaving Qatar the same day. If a Qatari individual or a resident had done this, they would face abuse and 
probably arrest by security forces simply for protesting. The climate around repression, around freedom of expression and assembly in Qatar, shows that LGBT residents and citizens do not have the same luxury to raise their voices because they would face repercussions by security forces and their own government. This is what Peter told me. I was urged to protest by the underground Qatari Human Rights Defenders Group. I acted at their request in support of their struggle. They say what I did has raised public awareness of human rights abuses both inside Qatar and worldwide, and that my protest has not caused any problems for Qatari LGBTs or human rights defenders. Qatari authorities have reassured prospective visitors that they are welcome and that fans would be free, especially LGBT fans, to fly the rainbow flag at the games. But these suggestions by officials that Qatar should make an exception for outsiders to its abusive laws and practices are implicit reminders that Qatari authorities do not believe that its LGBT residents and citizens deserve basic rights or exist for that matter. This is at odds with the reports that we documented of continuous abuses by preventive security forces. Qatari authorities definitely have a double standard when it comes to treating expats differently than treating their own residents. To suggest that the World Cup would be an opportunity to temporarily suspend local state practices and welcome only outsiders is a reproduction of this notion that sexual and gender diversity are a peculiar preoccupation to Westerners and that they are a Western import to the kingdom. And that, again, puts LGBT people who are most at risk and most affected at the forefront of this kind of discourse. On October 24, Human Rights Watch published a report that documents how Qatar preventive security department forces have arbitrarily arrested LGBT people and subjected them to ill-treatment in detention. LGBT people interviewed said that their mistreatment took place as recently as September 2022, as Qatar prepared to host the 2022 FIFA Men's World Cup in November. Human Rights Watch documented six cases of severe and repeated beatings and five cases of sexual harassment in police custody. Security forces arrested people in public based solely on their appearance and unlawfully searched their phones in detention. As a requirement for their release, security forces mandated that transgender women detainees attend conversion therapy sessions at a government-sponsored behavioral health care center. All the people interviewed said that preventive security department officers detained them in an underground prison in Adefne, in Doha, where they verbally harassed and subjected detainees to physical abuse, ranging from slapping to kicking and punching until they bled. One woman said she lost consciousness several times due to the beating. Security officers also inflicted verbal abuse, extracted forced confessions, and denied detainees access to lawyers, to their families, to hospitals and medical care. And all of them said that they had to sign pledges indicating that they would cease immoral activity 
as a condition for their release. One of the transgender women we interviewed said that security officers arrested her on the street for quote-unquote imitating women and in the police car beat her until her lips and nose were bleeding and kicked her in her stomach. She said that police officers told her, you gays are immoral, so we will be the same to you. Another Qatari transgender woman said she was arrested in public because she was wearing makeup. She said that security forces gave her hand wipes and made her wipe the makeup off her face and then used the makeup stained wipes as evidence against her and took a picture of her with the wipes in her hand, then shaved her hair. These are only some of the accounts that we documented showing the horrific abuses that LGBT Qataris are being subject to. A Qatari official has told SBS that there have never been reports of violence targeting people based on their background or beliefs in Qatar. Ahmed is a member of Qatar's queer community. What did you think of that response by the government? I know that to be categorically a lie, there was a task force for this very thing. It was the preventative unit. It's been scaled back considerably. It's now under the Ministry of Interior. There was a time in which they were actively pursuing and apprehending people who were considered to be acting or behaving inappropriately. Ahmed is not his real name, by the way. And as you may be able to tell, I've taken a few other steps to ensure his privacy. For this conversation, let's pretend we're taking a stroll along the Doha waterfront on a lovely winter day. Ahmed, I realize how blissfully unaware I was about the bubble and how different members of our community are treated. As a local, how does that make you feel? Upset, angry, indignant, for a multitude of reasons. I think on the one hand, the powers that be allow one set of rules for expats, but yeah, it's a three-tier system. You've got one for white-collar expats, specifically Western, one for blue-collar expats and one for Qataris. They are trying to entice the Western expats to live and work in the country with handsome offers, and they're essentially protected. They are immune to the goings-on, and what really happens because it doesn't apply to them. These measures are specifically applied to the non-Western expat workforce and also the Qataris. What do you think will change after the World Cup is over? I can't gaze into a crystal ball and tell you, but I think the necessary conversations are happening because of external pressures and not from within. And I believe the state security apparatus is suppressing dialogue from within, especially what doesn't fit with certain cultural and social mores. And I think it's leading to a crash collision due to a lot of things that have transpired over the last couple of years, namely the embargo that happened in 2017. It's made a lot of people very jingoistic to the extent that any valid or necessary conversation is suppressed under the pretext of we cannot talk ill or badly about our country, but that's become weaponized. The discussion has become sycophantic to a degree that wasn't there before. With all the scrutiny and attention on queer Qataris, what are we missing? I want to clear something up. People need to know there's a very reductionist implication that queer people didn't exist until this pressure was applied on us because we're hosting the World Cup. But People were always here. There's always been a local queer culture or subculture, but it's not similar to what you see in Western countries. It's very different. To start, we don't identify with the rainbow flag, what's essentially being recognized as the global insignia for gay rights. That's not us and it's not for us to adopt. I think also there's this misunderstanding that we want to. We've become more scrutinized due to the World Cup. 
we've come to the surface. A lot of people didn't really pay any mind to it before, because it wasn't part of their primary focus. But now it's like a witch hunt of sorts. People are more razor focused and aware of these things than before. It wasn't taking up as much of their daily focus before, but throughout the years, it's been LGBT this and LGBT that. And while we're on the topic, I don't think those acronyms are natural to us either. A lot of people from Qatar and the wider region don't feel the need to categorize themselves or fall into the trappings of being one or the other. These labels are problematic because they almost usurp everyone in the world, categorize them, and segment them. There's a sort of colonialist aspect to it, that we must fit into these categories. And for a lot of people, there's a distinction to be made between people who engage in same-sex relations, and people identifying as part of this community. There is a difference. A lot of people from Qatar and the wider region don't feel the need to categorize themselves or fall into the trappings of being one or the other. There are people who genuinely resent that they have to conform, they can't reconcile it with their core religious values. A lot of them believe that even if we engage in these sorts of sexual relations or sexual indiscretions, then we will have sinned and only Allah can judge us for it in the hereafter. But for us to be pressured to accept and have to basically come out and identify ourselves with these sorts of descriptors, this is anathema. This is inconceivable. This is blasphemous. And there's this persistence to it, this very conceited insistence from the global West for us to be like them. Whether Arab or Qatari, our sexual attitude is far more fluid. We are a very small population and we are also a very private one. Many of us would like to maintain that. And that's also proven by the fact that even heterosexual couples cannot show public displays of affection, or don't want to. What happens in our private spaces is not something we personally would prefer to showcase publicly, not in our country. So there is this very persistent effort and pressure for us to subscribe and conform to those conventions, for us to come out. Do you think you'll stay in Qatar? I do find myself trying to be rational about my own country and describing it, but I find that it's also an enigma to me. As a Qatari, I don't know if I could adapt anywhere else, but I'm also unable to adjust to my own country. It's not a very straightforward, upfront way of living. There are a lot of backdoor, implicit rules that have effectively made me an outlier in many ways, and there are people like me. It's unfortunate, but in Qatar, you cannot really thrive and live well unless you really play by the rules and play by the book and conform and contort yourself to this sort of way of being. If you can play the game then you can get ahead. If you don't you're lost, you lose out. And there's no in-between. And by the way, the queer community in Qatar isn't a uniform monolith of people who are oppressed. A lot of us are doing well because they play the game. They can be very sycophantic and it's about who you know. I love my country, but I don't belong here. I don't see a future for myself here because as time goes on you have to marry and have children. There isn't space for any alternative lifestyle. For you to live in Qatar and live it well, you have to hide it. You have to be living in discretion or secretly, which is virtually impossible in Qatar because it's so small. People who get married and have children, a lot of them don't actually want that lifestyle. There are so very few of us. I would challenge those conventions of trying to separate us and put us into categories or acronyms because a lot of people don't see themselves that way and it just doesn't apply to them. Thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts with us. Thank you for having me. And I would also really like to challenge your listeners to understand more and have better empathy and compassion for other people and not to perceive them or view them from the yardstick that they're used to and to not be so myopic in their way of looking at things and the world.
And a special thanks to Altered Studio for helping me share his perspective and protect his privacy. Before we go, let's hear from Rasha one last time about how Qatar compares with its neighbors and the challenging work ahead. Stories of abuse by security forces and ill-treatment in detention are not unique to Qatar. Unfortunately, across the Middle East and North Africa region, governments have laws that criminalize same-sex relations, and even in the countries that don't, spurious morality laws and debauchery and prostitution laws are used to target LGBT people often without a legal basis and of course contrary to international law. In Egypt, we have seen a spate of arrests under President Abdel Fattah Sisi's government since 2014, including torture and detention. In Lebanon, we have seen government interference in recent years, halting human rights activities around gender and sexuality in the name of preserving public morality. We have seen in Tunisia that authorities have prosecuted and imprisoned men suspected of being gay and transgender women under Article 230 of the Penal Code. We have seen in Iraq a series of kidnappings, torture and killings of LGBT people as recently as 2022. And this has been a grave pattern for over a decade. In Qatar, we have also seen Qatari institutions have decided to uh, cancel events related to gender and sexuality inside the country because they were accused of quote-unquote Western cultural imperialism. These examples only show that the region in itself is not protecting the rights of LGBT people. However, in a country such as Qatar that has been awarded the World Cup since 2010 and has had over a decade to rectify its human rights record and protect LGBT people, it is unacceptable to see these abuses continue under FIFA's oversight and in a region where most people cannot express themselves and their gender identities and sexual orientation freely. Go for it! Go for it! Definitely! Uh, everybody who wants to express the LGBTQ plus community, uh, any other uh, expressions of uh, gender or, or preference, this is all about celebration. Uh, there are no limits to what people Just, can show, well, within funny. reason. <laughs> uh, we would like <laughs> people to stay clothed, of course, uh, but a rainbow flag is definitely an option, as it has been at other FIFA events here in Qatar. This needs to be a priority for the Qatari authorities and for the entire region to make sure that exceptions are not only made for outsiders, but that the rights of LGBT people are upheld, including their basic rights to free expression, assembly, and association. Before we go, it's time to talk about puppies. If you're traveling to Qatar, consider supporting one of the local animal rescue organizations that are finding homes for thousands of dogs, cats, and other animals each year. Like these beautiful Salukis or Persian Greyhounds, we brought two to Australia and can't imagine life without Bo and Joey. Qatar Animal Welfare Society, CAUSE, or Paws Rescue Qatar, Second Chance Rescue, and plenty others, rescue strays from off the streets or find them wandering the desert. They feed them, they give them medical care, and support them until they find a forever home. They're always in need of financial support, so even if you're not going, consider sending them a donation. And if you have space in your home and heart to help relocate them to your country, get in touch. I've posted some links along with this episode. Next time on A Controversial Podcast.
the World Cup in Qatar is, has become like a battleground for you know who can who can display the the strongest message. Need a few minutes to reset? Great Minds is a podcast from SBS that guides you through different meditation styles from around the world. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.